Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog Rodney is beside me as usual. Today, we're going back to the world of real estate, and I have my friend Roberto Balker from Prime Den Real Estate as my special guest today. And we're going to talk about real estate and the trends that are happening in South Florida and other areas of Florida. Roberto is broker and president of Prime Den Real Estate. He has over 10 years in um, the real estate world and actually has brokered some of the biggest residential uh, condo and home sales in South Florida. So I asked Roberto to come on to kind of give me his insight on uh, the trends going on in the market. Also tips for audience members on what to look for with your realtors and just also shed some light on what's been happening in the real estate world in 2020 because it's been a definitely odd year and it has really caused a change in how things are done in real estate, not only from the uh, design standpoint, but also you know how you're brokering your deals, how you're evaluating realtors. So a lot of good information to be discussed with Roberto. So please welcome my special guest, Roberto Balker, to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Roberto, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Ben, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be sharing some of this information. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. So let's first off uh, tell the audience about your company, Prime Den Real Estate, and the services that you offer. Great. So I was originally running the brokerage like a, a regular brokerage in which, you know, you have all the agents working with the buyers and the sellers and training them and managing them as well as doing the transactions. And little by little, we shifted the services to try to meet new market niches. One of the services we provide now is basically doing data analysis to find out who is the best agent to be representing that buyer or seller. So if you're thinking of selling a home, uh, it makes a difference which agent you go with. Uh, some people are better at this than other people. And by picking a, a, a random agent, which is what most people do, they either go by a friend or a relationship or somebody who marketed to them uh, or somebody they like, they are more than likely not uh, working with the absolute best person to be doing that job. And so what we set out to do is a service in which we find out who's the best person to doing that job for you. Sometimes it's not cut clear. Sometimes there's two or three that are the best, you know, uh, but it's a gigantic difference. I mean, some of the stats we run into, you'd be very surprised uh, into um, who you think is actually good to, versus who actually can, can get you more money, sell it faster and, and just provide an overall better service. Uh, right. So that's one of the services we provide. We also have a different service now in which we, we sell in a quasi auction process in which we set a deadline date for the offers to be in. And then instead of doing the typical process in which you list high and then inch the property low and when an offer comes in, try to negotiate the, that offer up, we actually purposely price it below market get a lot of offers, and then bid it up to the maximum um, price that we can get the people to. Now, it's a little different from a traditional uh, auction, which it's uh, in a traditional auction, you, you're, you know, it's a very heated, you know, you have to do it at the moment. The process we do is, is more drawn out over weeks. And so you really, really get the people to go the absolute maximum price. We have time to negotiate. People have time to do their due diligence. We accept financing, uh, just like a regular sale. but starting from the bottom up. 
So you're kind of like, I mean, you're the broker on that that deal, but you're working like with a title company to help close. And if someone wins at auction, um, I mean, they pay cash through the closing agent or they work bring the lender in. Yeah. And close, it, close in it. terms of the purchase itself, it's just like a regular purchase. So um, we list a property. The only difference is that instead of listing high, we list it below market. Because right. of that, a lot of offers come in. And then we just have an open auction. You know, let's say uh, one person offers 500. And when an- another person offers 510, we let everybody know that the top bid now is 510. And that's the bid to beat. And whoever wants to offer 520, they can offer 520 if anybody wants to beat that. We just keep communicating with everybody who's already made an offer. Once we nobody's willing to beat the top offer, then we... Uh, finalize the negotiations with the little details and sign a contract that's a regular purchase and sale contract that goes all the way to closing. And then it goes to a regular process. If you're working with a bank and you need financing and that, and yours was the top bid and that, that, that the seller liked, you know, we go through the bank, right? And sometimes it takes 45 days to close just like any other uh, process. Now, sometimes the, the seller will prefer a cash offer. That's a little lower because they don't have to go through that process. And then it closed fast. But, you know, from the moment we signed the contract to closing, it's just like any other deal. Got it. So, yeah, I was – so I think that's good for clarification because really you're just going through the contract negotiation process with the auction. And then once someone signs a contract, like you said, it's just a regular real estate closing transaction when you get the lenders involved and title companies or lawyers, whoever they're using to close the deal. Exactly. That, that's why sometimes we get away from the – we don't use the word auction, even though there's a, a bidding process, because people have in their mind everything you said, that it has to be a cash offer, that you have to close in a particular t- time frame. None of that is, is true in our process. And so we combine the best of both worlds. We give the buyers the flexibility to buy in whatever process they want, and we give the seller the ability to choose what he thinks is most or he or she thinks is the most attractive offer. And then once we get there, then just go through the process. Right. Well, I tell you what, that process, to be honest with you, probably has been very efficient in COVID. Yes, yes. There's a, a, um, what happens is we only have to show the house, you know, two or three times We where we set a, a certain amount of time. We prepare the house. Everybody that wants to, that's interested, comes and sees it. They see it all at once. And then we start the, the bidding. We have a couple more showings of that kind. And that's it. With a regular listing, you know, every time a buyer wants to see it, it's a huge obstacle, right? Because they have to go and, you know, to prepare the house and it's just for one person. And it's just, you know, and you don't know, even know if that person's that interested um, and how long it's going to take. You could spend months and months and months trying to sell a property that doesn't sell. Uh, with our process, we, we have uh, a, a lot of offers within two weeks uh, and that, that are already being, being bid up. And so, you know, your property will sell within a month. Right. Wow. That's really. And is this something you're only doing in Florida or is it other areas? I'm only doing that in Florida, but the okay. the research for the best agent we've done everywhere. We had a client now that they, they, they were selling a package of properties. Uh, it was a total of uh, $10 million worth of properties that we've researched. That properties in, in Massachusetts and in, in, uh, California in Florida and New York. And so we, we did the research for all of them. It was an estate, and um, they were really happy because every single property, you know, sold in in in, in a fashion that was very very uh, satisfactory. And part of the reason is because they picked 
the best agent to be doing the job, right? Right. Yeah, and so in that regard, when you're doing that research, I mean, it, like you said, it could be somebody in Massachusetts or New York or whatever, and they're like, I, I don't know which realtor to use or whatever, and they could contact your company at Primed In Real Estate, which the website, by the way, is www.primeden.com, so P-R-I-M-E-D-E-N. And so they could say, look, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I want to know which realtor because I see all these ads and stuff, but I don't really know who the best is. And your company could provide that person research. Just it's research. It's not that you're a broker. You're just providing research to That's help right. them make an informed decision. That's right. And um, an a easy URL that leads to the same place is realtorgrader.com. Okay. So. So. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's a free service. Um, so uh, the, the seller really has nothing to lose to, to, to get that free information and decide who they're going to go with. There's no obligation. Um, a lot of competing services, ha uh, poor, like there's one famous uh, service called Homelight that they say they do that. But the difference is they're only working with the agents that signed up with them, right? And that's not necessarily the best agent in that area. And typically, the best agents are not signing up with services like this, right? Um, other services, you sign up. They're basically lead generation services for agents. So you're going to get like 10 calls from different agents just trying to get your business. Um, so there's a lot of alternatives out there. But none of them show you exactly who the best person is. We help you analyze the data. And you're under no obligation. You know, you could meet with one, two, or three, or, you know, how many however many agents you want to meet with, with absolutely no obligation. Right. So talk to me about um, your evaluation of realtors and what you guys consider good realtors and what uh, what you consider bad. I mean, obviously, you would think a good realtor is someone that sells a lot of properties quick and you'll move the product, but that may not necessarily be the case. I mean, maybe it's somebody uh, that sells a lot of properties but doesn't get the best price. So what, what kind of a data do you find yeah so th this this is what's really really interesting part of how this started was when i was outside of the country one of my friends listed with an agent and this agent was one of those very uh popular um celebrity agents that you know are on tv shows and all sorts of stuff and they were like oh I, i'm thinking of going with this agent um, but I'd like to know how they do. So I did this research for them and, and the agent was really performing below what you would think. Like one, one of the stats was this agent on average sold 28% of the properties they tried selling. Right, that's a mm -hmm. very low stat. And so when I shared the stats with them, I was like, I, I don't think you should go with them. I mean, they, they look like they're good at being on TV, but I don't think they're putting a lot of effort and knowledgeability into selling. And so then we did the analysis. They had ended up listing with somebody who had really good stats and then sold it. Um, some of the things you want to look at, I think experience does make a difference. So you want to see how many properties they've actually sold um, just generally and then also within that niche, right? So within that price range and that area, that type of property. Um, so that's something that's important. You also want to see that they're active. So you want to see what they've done recently. You want to see what they have active uh, currently on the market. You're looking at um, sales price to list price ratio. So if some, if they list at a particular price, did they have to give a huge discount or are they selling close to that price? And it's okay 
to give discounts because that means they're trying to, to price it high and trying to, to move the price upwards. Um, but it's not good if it's a huge discount all the time, right? Um, right. So there's a balance there. Some agents you'll see, they are like very close to 100%. So it seems like a good ratio, but basically these are agents that are very good at, at getting sellers to price aggressively. And so they always get, you know, full price. That's so, and typically those agents are going to have an average of lower days on market as well. So you want to get a combination of someone who has experience in that niche um, that um, tries to push the the price upwards. You want to, but you want them to be within a range of days on market and and, and discounts that are uh, acceptable and. You combine all of that, and then you look at their marketing material and strategies to, to give a, a final decision. Yeah. What do you consider some good numbers as far as like, because I know days on the market, you know, that of course, that depends on if the market's hot or not, but, you know, things like acceptable discount rates and the, the kind of stuff. Yeah. So you will, you will see, and, and this is a, also brings me uh, to when a lot of people ask, how's the state of the market or, or what numbers are, are acceptable? Um, a really good analogy is if you put one hand in boiling water and one hand in freezing water, on average, it feels really nice. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would start, I'm not going to put a boil. <laughs> so, uh, the same is, is, is true for real estate. Like you, you could have two different, like if you go to South beach and South of fifth, there's mm-hmm. a. Uh, the continuum, right, where where I sold that unit for thirteen million dollars, and then you have a block away, you have a building that has, you know, studios on an old building selling for hundred fifty thousand dollars studio, right? If you ask me how South of Fifth is doing, and I give you a number, um, it's it it's not uh, representative of either one of those properties because those are extremes, right? The the property that's that's one hundred fifty thousand dollars has a completely different dynamic. Than the ones at, at at thirteen. So, whenever anybody wants to get information, they have to understand that uh, the general market is different from their very particular market. Even when the market was crashing in two thousand and eight, if you went to certain states, they weren't crashing at all, right? Or certain submarkets in certain states. Um, so that that being said, um, you'll have markets like right now. We 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 um, just put a property on the market that. The average days on market in that community is 32 days from listing to getting the property sold under contract, right? Um, if you go to Brickell, um, the average condo is taking about 200 days to, to get on market, right? And so it's a gigantic difference, right? Same thing with discounts on price. And that community, because you have so many offers and things sell so fast, you typically are much closer to 100%. If you go to Brickell, you're close to, to 86, 90%, right? Um, in terms of the, and also depends on the building, depends on the price range and things like that. But um, things will vary dramatically based on price range. Like uh, the higher the price range, the longer it takes to sell. Typically, um, those discounts are normal to be in 90, you know, you'll sell at 92, 93% of, of asking. Uh, rarely do you sell above asking. Um, if you, if you go to really inexpensive areas where people have more access to those properties and they sell very fast, it's very typical to have some agents being, 
uh, an average of 102% of asking where where they always saw above asking and they saw in 15 days. So um, I could give you the general stats um, for the total, but that's not going to be representative of each person's property because each one's very unique. So let's delve into some of the information that you have about all the different pockets of Miami, and then we'll hit other areas of Florida as well. So uh, let's start with South Beach. Uh, tell me about the trends that are going on in the South Beach and the Miami Beach area. Okay, so uh, South Beach is is a, a pretty interesting market in in which the the more the more expensive properties do appreciate very well um, when the market appreciates, but generally speaking, condos have been pretty much suffering with a very, very high inventory rate. Uh, and it's very interesting to, to compare the inventory and the sales funnels of all the condos, whether it's in Miami Beach or Sunny Isles or Brickell versus the houses. Very different markets. Um, the condos right now have huge inventories, take a long time to sell. It's very competitive uh, for sellers. And it's a tremendous buyer's market because buyers literally have dozens of offers to make of similar product in which they can, you know, bid sellers down. Houses on the other side are the exact opposite right now. So if you go just over uh, the bridge to Miami Shores or the roads right next to Brickell or a little further south, um, you you have very, very little inventory. Uh, and so there it's a very strong seller's market. Um Right now, I was very surprised when COVID hit. I thought we'd have an immediate uh, pullback in what's happened, but uh, the market's really on fire, and it's been picking up for a variety of, of reasons. Um, one has to do with uh, government lowering interest rates dramatically, um, a lot of money pumped into the system. Uh, you also have a lot of immigration into uh, Florida, Miami being one of the main immigration spots from people uh, fleeing high tax areas um, like uh, most of the Florida immigration is coming from New York. Uh, a lot of the California immigration is going to, to Texas. Um, right. people, people like not paying taxes for income tax, right? Mm -hmm. um, no, so, we're seeing Central Florida too. Yeah. So, so you have all, all, all of this immigration coming, you have cheap money. Um, it's, it's, uh, th those are the positive things, right? You also have, uh, uh, when you talk to mortgage lenders now, right now they're hitting all the records of refinancing people refinancing. There's a lot of buying. Uh, and, uh, even the condo market, which was a little slower is picking, picking up with people buying. Now that's the, the good side. Now there's some, uh, negative things that are also very much looming, right? The government passed some legislation that don't that aren't allowing banks to foreclose. Even with that, uh, Florida is among the the one of the five states that uh, are having high amounts of foreclosures. Uh, they're at one point three percent according to to Realty Track, and the the other states that are that are having more are Louisiana. Alabama, South Carolina, and Nebraska, right? Mm. Um, so they're the highest foreclosure rates. And that's even with the stopping of foreclosures. Um, so you have all of this inventory that's going to be coming on the market when when um, these start foreclosing. Um, 
right now, when you um, look at a measure of potential foreclosures that are coming down the line, you look at something called delinquencies, right? So one of the stats that's, that's the most prominent is called 30 days or more delinquent mortgages. And this is a nationwide stat, according to CoreLogic reports. According to them, May of, 19, of 2019, we had a, a 3.6% of people were 30 days or more late uh, or delinquent on their mortgage. Now, May of 2020, it was 7.3, more than doubled, right? It went to 3.7. Um, mm-hmm. We have 27 consecutive months of declines, uh, followed by suddenly a jump to 6.1, which is the highest level since 2016. And um, having people transition from current to past due has reached its highest level in 21 years, even more than 2008, right? So even though the market right now is on fire, a lot of people buying, a lot of inventory being dried up, you have this wave of foreclosures that's going to be coming next year. Once legislation opens back, opens back up, those are going to hit the market. And then when you have a lot of inventory, then you have a lot of downward pressure. And one of the things that worries me is that in 2008, there was still a very strong kind of moral and social, like it was not that acceptable to just let go of your mortgage or let go of your home and, and short sale or foreclose. Now it's become very much the norm. If prices start dropping, the banks now are very streamlined to do short sales and foreclosures. And owners don't want to be carrying a property that that's, has negative negative equity, right? So if the prices drop enough, people are just like, oh, I'm not going to pay my mortgage anymore. And what that does is creates more inventory and it's like a snowball effect, right? right. So all of the, the worries that I had about COVID uh, haven't hit this year. Um, but unless something dramatically changes with the fundamental economics, which is people do have to have jobs and they have to pay for their mortgages. Um, we're we're going to be having some significant corrections coming up. You know, on your point about Miami Beach and the luxury market versus and the, the home market versus condos, I mean, this week there was news that Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner, put down um, uh, money on a contract for a lot. And um, gosh, I forgot Indian Harbor, Indian uh, Creek, Creek. I had a client in there. Um, and then this week, Tom Brady and his wife Giselle Bunchen put down an offer for a home in Indian Creek. So maybe it's something where, yeah, there are a lot of people coming from New York um, and different areas to Florida, but it's like the ultra wealthy that's going to take advantage of these single family homes and stuff. And if you're an owner, and maybe let's say the four hundred thousand dollar range or something where you've got to have a good job to buy it but you know maybe those are ones that are going to struggle a little bit do you think there's any merit to that absolutely absolutely um you know um when the tax change happened um it already put some pressure in people living in states like new york and california to move um and I spoke to some very high net worth individuals from New York and asked them, you know, what, what their thoughts were in moving instead of just having a, a vacation home in, in Miami. 
And they mentioned that, you know, there was a lot of pain in having to pay those income taxes, but at the same time, that's where everybody is. And so moving to, to Miami would hurt their business more than they would be saving in taxes. And that's why they weren't making the move. When COVID hit, I think that dynamic shifted because since people aren't hanging out face to face anymore, um, it's mostly, you know, a lot of online and um, you have not, not, now it's a, that that benefit of, of networking and seeing the people and being in an area became less attractive. And so it, it kind of pushed those people that are thinking of moving to move right at that at the high net worth um, in the lower ranges. Just moving in general is 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 a bit more of a, a, a difficult thing. It has to you know, they have to be able to get a job and they have to do all these other things. So, yeah, I would agree that in different markets there 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 are different incentives that are being played and i would say that the 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 luxury market or the ultra luxury market as well um definitely has a higher incentive in moving right now and you see that in the numbers as well uh, the the number of of sales over 10 million dollars is almost doubled right well and uh, goldman Sachs, goldman sachs is going to be moving operations to south florida too and i i guess they're looking maybe in Palm Beach County or right. maybe for still got people coming down who have, you know, good, good jobs. They're going to be looking for the high end homes. So with all the inventory of condo there, I guess it would seem like South Beach is a good rental market. Well, a good rental market. Um, see, now, now we're talking investment, right? So mm-hmm. a person buying to rent to make money. When, when you're analyzing that, you, you want to take certain things into account. So one of the things is vacancies. In, in Miami Beach, you're never going to have vacancies. You just have to adjust prices. So that's a good thing. Um, but then you also want to take into account what's called the cap rate. Cap rate is the profit that you make every year based on the purchase price. So if you buy a property for 100000 and you make $20,000 a year profit after paying everything except for your mortgage, right? Paying taxes, uh, maintenance. Uh, everything out, it, you know, vacancies, and you and you keep twenty percent. That's twenty thousand dollars. So that's a twenty cap. Um, Miami Beach has good vacancies. It has good, fairly decent property appreciation, uh, but the cap rate is fairly low compared to to other areas. Mm-hmm. You know, and generally speaking, the the best. It'll depend on on the on the investor's profile and what they're looking for. Um, so you, you're generally going to be balancing between two things. You're going to be balancing between appreciation, right? You're going to buy the property and not need money now, and you're going to sell it at some point, hopefully at a profit, and that profit is the appreciation. And the other is the cash flow, which is the money that's coming in every month. Typically, those two things are um they they compete if you go to really 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 like low neighbor, low price neighborhoods you know where people don't want to be um they have a much higher cap uh, they have a cap rate so you make more money per month as a profit um but those properties don't go up in value very much right and if you talk about ultra luxury even if you rent out the place you're barely going to be making any return on your money but you know, you, you could sell it maybe a few years later for, for a lot more, right? Right. So you want to balance those two things out. And then when you're talking about middle 
uh, uh, income, uh, those properties in, in the two to $500,000 range, when you buy condos, a huge component of that expense is going to be the, the, the maintenance and the condo maintenance. And so if you, if you have a high maintenance, it kind of eats up all your profits. And, and that's one of the downsides if you're going to be looking to buy condos at that price range in Miami Beach. Um, but again, it depends on what your needs are. Right. If if it's somebody who's who's buying to make some money, but they also want a vacation home, is different than somebody who's just doing it strictly to make more money. Right. So let's um, let's talk a little about some other areas in my, uh, Miami. What about the Brickell market? How is that uh, different in connection to South Beach and the Miami Beach area? What's interesting is B- South Beach has historical preservation. Right. So pretty much what the inventory, the, the inventory changes very little there for a new building to come up. One has to come down. Brickell is not quite like that. Um, Brickell, you know, no matter how much is built, they can they can build more. You know, there's there's lots and they could always just and it's not an island. So you just keep keep on building. So when prices when price per square foot goes up. Developers come on in and just build more inventory. And so it's very hard for prices to appreciate dramatically over there. Um, but it's becoming a, a metropolis. Banks are moving there. There's a lot of employment, tons of restaurants, tons of activities and, and, and just amenities in general and things that you have access to that are all within that area, which make it more attractive. Uh, people want to go where everybody else is, and, and it's becoming a very, very dense area. Uh, a lot of the concern has to do with uh, traffic, right? Because they, they have so many, it's, the density is becoming so so high that you, you have traffic issues. But the walkability is amazing, right? You can walk to, I mean, if you go to Brickell City Center and Mary Brickell Village and uh, these places, there's so much stuff to do there and you can walk around. So if you work in that area, you can walk everywhere and then just drive when, when you're going to drive out of it. Um, because of that dynamic, there's a, a lot of inventory still, um, from all these new buildings that went up and that puts a downward pressure. And so prices are, haven't been going up for a while. If you, if you try to sell a property in many of these buildings, I mean, you're, you'll have like 30 units that are similar competing for that buyer, you know, and there's one or two buyers trickling in a month for that, for those 30 units. That's kind of what I thought too, because I, it was interesting. Uh, I mean, I lived in Brickell for a long time. I lived at Icon Brickell, and then before Icon started, I was at Brickell on the River. And I'm just not seeing where the properties have really appreciated that much in Brickell in the past ten years. I mean, maybe they've appreciated a little bit, but it seems like that. I mean, it's really a renter's market over there. Yeah, yeah. There's and I think one problem with some of those buildings too is like. Let's say the Icon Brickle, for example. Mm-hmm. A nice building. It's now a 12-year-old building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the, living there. But if I had to put 20% down, that means I've got to put eighty dollars to $100,000 down, which you know, even people with really good jobs getting out of school and stuff, by the time you're paying student loans and stuff, it takes a little while to get there. I just don't know. And most of the people that I know, they're renters over there. These are people that are lawyers and you know professionals over there in mid thirties, forties. They're just renting. Right. Uh, look, uh, 
it's going to be a while for it to appreciate. I, I actually believe in terms of, of um, um, when you're going to be investing, I, I don't really think condos are the best approach to getting the, the, the top returns when you combine both appreciation and, and, and um, cap rate. Right. Uh, so, for example, right now, there's three buildings at, uh, at Brickell, uh, in, in, uh, Icon and Brickell, right? Mm-hmm. Right now in those buildings, there's 172 units for sales. Okay. Mm-hmm. On average, there's 72 sales per year. Yeah. So you've got almost, well, two and a half years of inventory right there. Yeah. There's six units selling a month. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me do the math here really quick. It is a nice place to live, though the the amenities right, are great. Right. And, 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 they have parks there and and stuff. So a lot of people like it for the lifestyle, but as as tenants, I think because my thing, I lived in my unit for six years. Right. And they were interested in want to buy or whatever. And I was like, well, no, I don't want to pay that much down. And now I'm up in Central Florida, but it's a great place to live, but as a tenant. I think Grant Cardone uh, mentioned that in one of the things. I, and, and that's how I was living as well. I had my investment properties, but the property that I lived in was a rental, right? Because I liked living in, 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 a, in a condo and it was a very nice lifestyle. I just didn't think it was good to tie up my money there. Now, if, if I wanted to live in the Icon and I got to the point. It's like I'm going to be here for many, many, many years, and I want to have my condo exactly the way that I want to have it. And, my, and I'm not going to find a landlord that lets me knock down walls or, or redo. Then you buy it, but you buy knowing that that's not the best use of your money. It's just you know one more thing that you're you know spending money on that you just want to have a nice lifestyle, right? You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of things we do for the enjoyment and where you live is definitely one of the, the most important things in life. Right. So what are some other um, areas of Miami uh, that you want to talk about with your research? I mean, Wynwood is always interesting. Uh, that arts and entertainment district You mentioned Miami shores, which is mainly a, a single family home community. I, I, I know several people that have uh, been buying in there for a while uh, mm-hmm. due to the fact they wanted a home. Um, what kind of trends are you seeing in there in light of COVID? And, uh, you know, yeah, so, so uh, Miami Shores and Biscayne Park right next to Miami Shores, as well as the community south, which is El Portal. Um, you know, you have Belmede, which is on the water. All those areas are doing really, really well with inventory for their price ranges, right? Um, when you go to the higher and uh, priced properties, obviously, the, you have a little more inventory, a little more time on market. But compared to anywhere else, all of those areas are doing really well. Um, I like, uh, you know, a lot of different areas um, within there. You know, like like you just mentioned, Miami Shores is more known and Biscayne Park is less known. Biscayne Park is just right next to Miami Shores. It's just as nice of a community. The, the you know, no, no, there's no fences just by city ordinance. Everything's open and, and it's very safe. Um, and so you have good deals right next door and you're almost to Miami Shores. Right. And so sometimes you find these little communities that you're not really paying attention to. Um, and then within outside of this main area, as you start going a little further, like Miami Springs or Hialeah or these other areas, then a very popular mode is having a gated community. 
where the gated community has its own amenities, it has a low maintenance, and you know it's 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 its neighborhood in itself. Um, right now, I think the biggest trend that most people are not aware of is is just this difference between the houses and the and the and the condos. It's like two different worlds, you know. It is. My uh, my clients that did buy houses uh, with us a few years back, they're really loving the appreciation. Some of them are liquidating it, especially considering what's potentially coming down the line next year, and they're just you know very happy with uh, with the returns. And then I you know my clients that bought condos uh, as an investment, uh, and they've been holding it for a while. You're like, dude, I'm going to sell this. I've been holding this for ten years. You know, I want to make some money, and they're barely making anything. Right. I mean, they, they, all they, they have to keep is whatever they made in rental over time, but, um, they're not really doing any better than they did. Right. Yeah. I know at least with my condo in Miami, I mean, I bought it as a long-term investment thinking that, um, you know, I'll I'll use it whenever it's not rented out, but it it could be, I kind of looked at it as a retirement home. Mm -hmm. That that sounded kind of weird, you know, 40 years old buying a condo as a retirement home that was <laughs> yeah. a long-term goal on it because like you said with condos um to turn around and flip them for a profit unless it's like an area where it's just like a super hot market and you can flip it quick it's it's tougher to make profits there because of the condominium association assessments exactly uh, you just you know you're paying five six seven hundred dollars a month um and it is what it is. I mean, yeah, you write it off for your income tax return, but you can't really make that up in rent. And the thing is, is in Miami, you can continue to have a lot of condominium projects being built because there's no room for uh, for single family homes in those areas like a Brickle or down by the Miami Heat Arena on Biscayne Boulevard. Right. And what's also interesting, I think, from a design standpoint, the city of Miami requires condos to all have retail on the bottom well how much retail can you fit in like every one of these buildings unless it's your typical nail salon yeah. uh barber shop which the joke kind of where i'm at now is we're full of dentist office mattress stores and uh, stuff but you don't have as much in miami but still it's like you look at retail restaurants aren't expanding right now a lot of them are getting hurt unless it's stuff that's um, you know you order and carry out in the delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pleased that um, in my building at Canvas, there's a uh, a restaurant called Estoico. It's like a Hawaiian theme. But I talked to that guy last week, and he said that their business has been busier since COVID because of the fact that people were within the building, not really traveling as much, and more of the residents were coming down. But still, he had to spend a ton of money for his build out. Uh, and things. So when you're having to try to fill that in almost every condo building, that's quite a daunting task. And, and one of the things that, that, that is interesting about uh, what you just mentioned as well is, is that those amenities are, are, are really nice to have, right? To have, you know, a restaurant in your building where you just go downstairs and come back, especially now with, uh, with everything that's going on. Um, I, I myself, like I said, I was living, have you ever heard of the Quayside? Yes, I have. Towers of Quayside. The Towers of Quayside. So I was living there. And um, for those that don't know, I mean, this is like has amazing amenities. You have a gym that, that uh, makes 
Gold's Gym not even looked that nice with a spa, polar plunge, masseuse, swimming pool, tennis courts. I mean, you name it. It was like amazing. <laughs> Waking up in the morning, going for a jog just within the area. The unit that I was renting, I paid in rent to my landlord, which she paid in taxes and maintenance. Mm-hmm. Right. So if 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 she gave if she gave me that apartment for free, just gave it straight up, gave it to me, I would have the same monthly payment. Yeah. Right. But in addition to that, she has the money tied up. Right. Right. And so that that makes makes it really tough for for those units to to gain value because uh, that amount of money per month is equivalent to paying a mortgage of four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I know, and it's um, it's interesting to see. But even like in the the Midtown area, I'm not mid well Midtown too, but also um, Wynwood. Mm-hmm. A lot of apartments are going up there, condos, and it's smaller condos. But I mean, the rents that they're asking in Wynwood was like twenty five hundred, twenty six hundred, and it was like a smaller unit because they were saying that millennials are kind of want smaller living area and stuff. But I mean, when you get to the point when you're paying that much in rent that's a lot but the problem is is even if you have a tenant paying that much that's not covering your mortgage on a home that's four hundred and five hundred thousand dollars when you include the the hoa assessments right right and and taxes are not inexpensive uh in the area as well right Right. you're you're paying i mean it's it's not quite 2%, it's 1.8% of the assessed value of the home by the tax appraiser, which is usually below the actual value of the home. But that 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 uh, adds up, you know, when you add the maintenance to it. I, I honestly believe if you're just, and again, you know, like what you mentioned before, if you're buying something and you're taking into account that you're going to be living there or you use it as a vacation home or you're just going to use it for enjoyment, that's one thing. But if your stock, if you're speaking strictly about what the best return on investment is, then buying a house is way better because you could buy a, a, a much more expensive home for the same amount of money because you're able to finance more. You don't have to pay a, a condo fee and you will have expenses, but those are much more controllable, right? And um, a lot lower than what the condo would be. And they gain in value significantly more because uh, most people don't understand is that this is going to sound controversial, but but bear with me. Homes don't gain value. They always lose value. What gains value is the land on which those homes are on, right? And just as a quick example, if you have two homes right next to each other, the newer one is worth more than the old one, right? That means with age, it's losing value. But... Mm-hmm. We know that they're going up in price because the land under those homes is going up in price, right? So when you buy a condo, you're owning less land, which is what's going up in price, and you own more of the construction, which is what's going down in price. And when you own a home, you own more land, which is going up, and less construction. So that's one factor. Another factor has to do with what we said before in inventories. You, If, if you want to build a home, you need a tear down another home or, you know, something like that. With, with condos, if I build a new building here, I suddenly have, there's 300 new units in that area, right? Mm. 
Uh, and so developers will build as soon as prices start rising. Houses, all that will happen is they start tearing down a house to build a new one. But that means that the inventory is not changing, the supply. Right. And you build a condo, you're adding 300 more condo units to the, the inventory. Exactly. Exactly. And which is something that sometimes, if you think about it, like Sunny Isles 10 years ago uh, had, a, a, you know, a fraction of the units that it has right now. Gosh, this, yes. And, and uh, just the tax revenue that, that that city makes, you know, and Rickle too, you know, they make insane tax revenues. And you're like, they're making all this money, this extra money, and they're not reducing what they're charging for the, the property taxes, you know. So they're finding a way to spend it. But I can't imagine that they're spending those volumes more of money than they were prior. Well, I guess one thing in Miami, though, if, if you just think about the growth of Brickell and downtown, um, they've had to improve the road condition. Mm-hmm. They're having to do more for infrastructure, um, so more water and sewer management, stuff like that. Yeah. But also um, the the transit. I mean, they're having to upgrade that and um, – because the people that live in the Brickell area, you know, they expect nicer things. And as you have more traffic, the need for things like uh, the, the tri-rail and light rail and bright line and all, all this kind of stuff. So uh, it doesn't take long to get there. You know, you talk about with the houses, um, one part of Miami that's more uh, single family home is Coral Gables. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the trends in like there, Doral, you've got Pinecrest there. Uh, more single-family homes. Of course, Pinecrest is high-end. Yes. So Pinecrest is one of the areas that has the tightest inventory, the most appreciation of all these areas you just mentioned, uh, followed by Coral Gables. Coral Gables and Pinecrest are doing amazing in terms of, uh, you know, for the sellers, right? If you want to buy in those areas, it's a little tougher. But as a buyer, you'll know that those are areas that appreciate well. Um, Some of the surrounding areas uh, that are lower, uh, in price that are doing well, like Kendall um, and and Doral. Those are areas that uh, that are doing – there's a, a community right next to Kendall called The Crossings is doing really great. Um, and, you know, depending how far you want to go, uh, it, it's interesting to see how, how even Homestead is developing at this point. You know, obviously, that's a completely different market. You got to drive, drive an hour to be there, over an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see how the, it spills over, right? And if you can't find something in an area, then, then the community starts developing the other way. So what about, um, you know, we talked a lot about Miami. What are some other really um, intriguing and hot areas in Florida and as well as other areas of the country based on your, your research? Um, so in terms of, of, of inventory moving, I actually don't have the, the specific areas that are moving the fastest in terms of, of uh, I know within Miami-Dade, are, it's the areas that I mentioned, right? Pinecrest and Coral Gables and Miami Shores and the, the El Portal. Those areas have, have very tight inventories. Uh, leaving Miami-Dade is not really something that I've, that I've been uh, researching. Uh, right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get... I don't want to give you like data and, and, and not being backed up. My impression in general is uh, it, right. I saw one of the reports talking about, I mean, certain communities, uh, which surprised me in California that are doing well, that are like Sacramento. Uh, 
San Jose versus Sacramento, Sacramento being a place that's not good versus San Jose. Uh, but because of all of these uh, burdensome taxes that are making people leave. I mean, I think recently Tesla just left California for for uh, Texas, right? Or mm-hmm. started is starting to make that move. Um, and you know, Joe Rogan moved, and you know, you start going through the list of the people that just say that just called it quits and be like, I'm not going to be paying these taxes and moving. I don't know how how long they're going to be able to support the tax bases, considering that those really, really, really wealthy people have paid, uh, you know, a very large percentage of what those those governments collect. So I don't know if it's going to start a cycle where they start charging even more and then more people leave or, or what's going to happen. But Well, I, I will say the, I think the, the big point that you made that I think is consistent, seems like everywhere, is the demand for houses is definitely on fire in a lot of these areas in Florida and Texas and like the Nashville area and stuff in these states, they don't have state income tax. I mean, these states like New York and California and Illinois and uh, states that are just really high state income tax rates and stuff in the world of COVID, a lot more people can work remotely and they are in droves and coming to Florida and like I said, Tennessee, Texas, of course, Florida, we have the great weather to offer. Um, and the thing is, for the New Yorkers, it's like, well, if they want that kind of lifestyle for, you know, excitement, things to do, South Florida is their area because of what goes on in Miami, or you've got Fort Lauderdale, if you want, or even Palm Beach, depending on what your preference is from a, a style perspective. But it's interesting because in the house world, there are a lot of people, they don't want to live close to other people they want that distance and mm-hmm. in a condo you've got to share elevators with people and stuff like when i was at my condo at canvas it really what i was expecting my wait for the elevator to be longer it really wasn't that big of an issue there so i don't know how bad it is in other areas of miami but there are some people it's like you know what i want my distance i want my yard if they've got kids in school maybe they're in other areas of Florida, like where I am now in Brevard County, where, I mean, our market is very hot right now. I've got friends where I'll see they'll post um, stuff like in the Cocoa Beach, Melbourne, Melbourne Beach area. Uh, and they're, they're going for like above asking price, like within a week. And part of it is because a lot of companies have been relocating to this area for the space industry or they're leaving California you know, space stuff, and they're coming over here to Florida for the tax reasons. It's uh, helping them from getting employees. So I, I think that's going to continue for a, a while, and I just don't know there are really that many condos in development here. But I think it depends on the area, too, because like Brevard County, it's more, you know, family-oriented, whereas Miami and Fort Lauderdale, it's more working professionals and, you know, maybe it's a husband and wife or boyfriend girlfriend or whatever the situation is and they may not have kids so they don't necessarily need that but um it's always interesting to to see the trends but i think it seems like 2021 has the potential to be a, a great year in florida for real estate yes uh or more high end and stuff but like you said for condos that's going to be interesting to watch about the foreclosures 
Yeah. Well, um, and and this this trend of the moving from from uh, New York to Florida, mostly Miami, was already happening pre-COVID. And and as you mentioned, I think COVID will change some things that are not temporary. Like it's really accelerated the digital working kind of thing. Like Twitter announced that they're no longer requiring people to live close by. I mean, you can work for Twitter from anywhere on the planet, and and so many people have figured out ways to just do their job from home. So the moment you don't need to commute from work, add to the fact that in the next year or two, I mean, there's a lot, there's different companies now that are launching the self-driving cars now, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to have that on the market in the next five years. So you add those two, why, why would you be in a really, really, really expensive high tax, you know, place? And then, and, and to, to, to throw salt on the wound for New York. They had all the problems with the riots and safety and, and, and criminality spiking. And so, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you could move to Florida, pay a third of what you're paying in New York, have good weather, not pay income tax and not have to worry as much about your safety. I'm like, it's a huge incentive. Right. And I wonder if at some point there's a tipping point where like, remember how a lot of these people need to network at a certain level. If a certain amount of them moves at that point, suddenly there's no advantage necessarily to being in one place or the other. Then, then, then I think it, it just increases the adoption of that idea. You know what's interesting as well, and I, um, you got so many companies, all like law firms, for example, in South Florida or in Florida in general. They're national law firms. They've got offices in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Chicago, New York. Um, I wonder if it's interest. It'll be interesting to see how many of these lawyers. Maybe it's like you know what? Yeah, I worked out of the New York office or Philadelphia office, but I'm going to move to Miami and I'm going to practice out of that office. Right. I mean, they're still representing the same clients there, so it's not like they're commenting on Florida law and have to be a Florida licensed attorney mm-hmm. per se. Still representing their same clients, but whether they're representing them physically in the state of Florida or New York or Texas or Tennessee, you might have more and more people really doing that. And I think that's an interesting uh, thing to kind of monitor because for me, like if I had to live in a, a community, I'm not a fan of cold weather at all. <laughs> so, you know, New York has nothing to offer me other than going to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> performance. Oh, good, food, uh, good, good food and theaters as well, right? Yeah, I, I could go for vacation for a week, you know. See the Seinfeld uh, restaurant monks yeah. and stuff like that, but uh, I'm not a fan of cold weather. Whereas, um, so for me, I would be like, yes, I would come to Florida. But um, and, and New York think, cold I, is so harsh. I, I I was there in the winter. Jeez, man, you turn a corner and that wind hits you. You're like, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. Go to Colorado if I want the cold, but. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see because that's kind of how Miami has built itself over the past few years. They kind of wanted to be the New York to the South. And that's why so much many condos were built up in Brickle and get all these young professionals there, which gave a basis for all the restaurants and bars and hotels and, and stuff. And I still to this day think Brickle is a good place. I enjoyed living there. And everything, but as a renter, and I don't think I don't see that really changing because there's so much activity there, and the yeah. dog biking and stuff like that. But it's just 
I don't know from an ownership standpoint how many, uh, you know, if it's really a good deal, unless you're suddenly like, you know what, I'm going to live here or this is my vacation home or retirement home, like my instance or whatever. And so I bought a condo uh, this year that I'm going to be there for 20 years. So it'll be interesting to see. Yes. Well, we're going to uh, get close to the end of the show here. I told you I'd keep you for an hour and I'm going to try to keep my promise. Um, <laughs> have some, um, just some closing remarks, you know, talking about uh, your business again and also um, just some final trends that you're, you're uh, expecting to see in, in the Miami area for 2021. All right. So um, final thoughts are, you know, if you, own a home and you're going to be living there for the next 10 years, then I don't think you have to worry about what's coming because the price of your home doesn't matter if you're not selling right now. Uh, but if you're thinking of selling in the next couple of years, I would recommend doing like I did and liquidating your real estate and then waiting to see what happens because there's a possibility that we're going to have a very, very tough economic winter coming. And when it hits, it's going to potentially be as bad as it was in 2008. And if prices drop like that and you are able to liquidate your properties now and have cash, you're going to be in a very, very, very good situation when that situation happens. If for whatever reason, the crash does not come as it seems like it will, you have the cash and you can buy again um, without having to worry about it. But I would recommend anybody thinking of selling their properties. If you're thinking of selling the next couple of years, so right now, the market is selling like so well. It's very hot. You'll liquidate it easily. Hold that cash and wait to see what happens once this foreclosure inventory hits the market. Got it. Well, Roberto, I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving the insight. Uh, I also enjoyed learning about your uh, your services you offer at PrimeDen, which allow people to you know get information about the right realtor to use. And, and it could be a, another thing, too, maybe a tool for realtors as well to kind of have a better idea of their stats and, and things. So it's a tool that uh, is available to a variety of people. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Again, for the audience, uh, Roberto's website is www.primeden.com. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show and the information. And uh, Roberto, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and uh, have a fantastic weekend. Yep, you too. All right, so folks, hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll catch you next time on another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rod. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.